Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm Jacob Cuban, and I'm a Covenant member here at Crosspoint. And my wife, Jessie, and I have been part of Crosspoint since 2020. We've been blessed with two daughters and have been a part of one of those community groups for over a year now. Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Let's hear God's word. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I have come from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you have a Bible, uh, open it up to, uh, to John 17 there. We're going to look at the first 13 verses today. If you don't have a, a good Bible... I encourage you to get one at Guest Connections and uh, take that home with you. And we also have a handful of study Bibles that if, uh, if that would be a resource for you, please see me afterwards. I'd love to connect you with that. We are uh, in the midst of a little four-week series that we're calling Formed, looking at some teachings of Jesus from the Gospel of John. And so today and next Sunday, we are in John 17, looking at this specific chapter. For those of us who are disciples of Jesus and desire... Our desire is that first and foremost, that we would be learning from his teaching, his word, his way of life, and to be formed into Christ's likeness in an ever-progressing manner in our lives. And in John 17, we read this extended prayer of Jesus. And my hope is that our prayer lives would be shaped by how he's praying, what he's praying for in this passage. John 17 records Jesus' longest prayer in the Bible, and we're going to look at the first 13 verses it's generally known as the high priestly prayer. The reason being that Jesus is referred to in the scriptures as our high priest. Hebrews 4 and 5 talk about that truth. In the Old Testament, the high priest would be the one who offered the sacrifices to God to both, uh, to both uh, atone for his own sin, the high priest's, high priest's sin, as well as the sin of the people. And it was his responsibility then to pray for and intercede on behalf of the people. And that Old Testament role of a high priest, that go-between, pointed forward to the birth and life of Jesus Christ, who is now 
the better high priest, the high priest alone. He is the one who sacrificed not an animal, but his own blood, his own life to atone for or cover our sin. He is the one who prays for and intercedes on behalf of believers. And so Jesus is our high priest. And in John 17, we see Jesus prayed for himself, for his disciples, and for those of us who would believe on him and follow and trust in him in the future. And so what's happening around the context of John 17 in this prayer is that he's just finished a lengthy teaching to his disciples in John 13 through 16. He's still physically with, the, with them in this prayer. And the darkest hours of his earthly life are approaching. Following this, he will be betrayed, arrested, beaten, publicly mocked, and crucified on a cross. So in light of that context, the first five verses, he prays for himself. And then verses 6 through 13 that we're going to look at today, he begins to pray for his disciples who are with him. So verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. He lifted his eyes to heaven, this natural posture of prayer that reminds us of our size in comparison to the size of our Lord. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. When we look up, it is this natural reminder that we are dependent upon the Lord. Like that small toddler looking up to a parent, I'm dependent upon you. On a clear night around here when the stars come out, you can't help but think how small we are in comparison to the size of the Lord who set those planets into motion and knows the number of the stars in the sky, who is creator over all of it, and yet at the same time is not far off. He's near. He cares for us. He loves his children because he is father. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we pray, we are talking to our father in heaven, not a distant, cold, detached force, but a near, relational, all-powerful Father, if you think of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus begins to teach His disciples when they say, teach us to pray, Lord, He begins with, what's He begin with? Our Father, reminding them of relationship, reminding them of, of identity in Christ. Prayer is not begrudging obedience, but joyful opportunity to talk to Dad and enjoy the identity that we have in Christ as His sons and daughters. And no matter how beautiful or how broken your earthly relationship has been with your earthly father, your heavenly father is perfect. He's perfect. He's never abandoned. He's never walked out. He's been faithful forever. He's good. He's able. He's loving. Father, the hour has come, meaning the hour of his betrayal, arrest, beating, and crucifixion is right around the corner. And as disciples who follow in his steps, it should not surprise us then that just like suffering at times marked the life and ministry of Jesus, so suffering or trouble at times will show up in our lives as well. As his people, we identify not just with the triumph of the resurrection, but the trial and test of Passion Week and Good Friday. The good news of Jesus is not that if we follow him, then, then we will never suffer, or that sickness will never come our way, or that we'll never walk through grief, loss, betrayal, or pain. The good news of Jesus instead is that for those whose faith is in him, one day we'll spend an eternity free of suffering, sin, or death. And until then, the gospel tells us that we have an anchor, a living hope 
to cling to, a living hope to look forward to, to live out because the story doesn't end on a Friday. The story didn't end in betrayal, suffering, or loss. The story ends in new resurrected life, new heavens, new earth. Brothers and sisters, we can live with the certainty that we have a Father in heaven who loves us so much that He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And the triune God of the Father, Son, and Spirit is with us and present in the life of a believer, including in times of pain and suffering and doubt and confusion. So notice that when the trial hits Jesus' life, where does He go? He goes to the Father in prayer. That's his response. That's his way of life. I pray that we be formed by that, that when we hit trial and test and suffering, that we would go toward the Father, move toward him in prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that, so that the Son may glorify you. Jesus is praying, Father, enable me to honor you in these last days. In a similar way, when we go through suffering and hurt, our prayer is, Lord, Help me exalt your name in the midst of this. Help me to trust in you, even in the dark night of the soul. That even in the pain, that God could redeem that pain and use it to accomplish his purposes, advance his kingdom in this generation, increase our joy, deepen our trust, increase our peace, bring the gospel to those around us. In the midst of hardship, there's an opportunity for us to grow to be more like Jesus, to be formed by him because we have a high priest. We have a savior who can identify with our pain, sympathize with our weaknesses. He was betrayed. He was wrongly accused. He was falsely convicted. He was abandoned. When we hit the trials of life as believers, we are to demonstrate that our trust is in the Lord. Does that mean then that we don't grieve or hurt? Of course not. We grieve, we weep, we remember all of which Jesus did first. And at the same time, we have a living hope that the tears that we shed on this side of heaven will no longer be shed on the other side. That the gospel tells us that truth, that the story doesn't end in a man hanging on a cross. The story ends in new life, new resurrected life. In Jesus' prayer, we get a glimpse that in the midst of the trial, that underneath it, there is this rock-solid reminder, this identity that, that the Father has not forsaken him. And the Father won't forsake him on the cross. The Father won't forsake him in the tomb. The Father is with them. And in the same way, the Father is with his kids to this day. Verse 2, since you, have, since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. Jesus has authority over all things in heaven and on earth. Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. And as a result, he has the authority to save, to give eternal life to those who repent of sin and believe on him and follow in his footsteps. He doesn't say here, he doesn't say, well, you are really messed up. Or uh, you haven't done enough. Your resume is not good enough. It's far too blank. Or he doesn't say, boy, you've done far too much in your life. You've run far too far. No, those are all lies from the enemy. The cross of Christ instead 
shouts to us, stands as this reminder that all are welcome to come and kneel at the foot of the cross to receive salvation as a gift through faith alone, by grace alone, to have their sin forgiven, new creation life in Christ given to them as a gift and their future home in heaven made secure. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only one with all the authority to give eternal life. And so the path to the Father is through the one and only Son. Verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I love my wife. You could have asked me on our wedding day, do you think it's possible to love this woman standing next to you that you're about ready to commit your life to? Do you think it's possible to love this woman any more than you do today? And my 19-year-old self, yes, 19, would have said, not a chance, no way. But now in my mid-40s, 26 plus years in, I'm more in love with her than I've ever been before. One of the biggest reasons is because I know her like I've never known her before. And she knows me like she's never known me before. All the good and bad and ugly. And the more I know her and the more she knows me, the more I love her, the more I know her, on our we- more I love her. On her wedding day, I don't think we really had a trial of any sort of substance when the pastor was doing premarital and talking about conflict. It was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Because we just really hadn't hit much. Now, after experiencing some valleys and some mountaintops together, my love is only deeper for her. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. The longer we follow Jesus, the more we grow to know Him, the more our devotion grows. Because the more we know about Him, we know only goodness. There's no bad. There's no ugly. It's only good. It's only an a perfect, faithful character. It's His love. The more we read of the Word and talk to our Father in, in prayer, the more we will know Him personally, relationally, in communion, enjoying the Lord and His presence and power in our lives. Verse 4, I've glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus' mission was clear. He didn't come from the glory of heaven and humble Himself to become a human simply to model to us a good life. He came to save. He came to rescue. He came to die. He came to rise again on the third day to fulfill the plan that the Lord had set in motion in the book of Genesis, that even though his creation had rebelled and sinned against him, he would send a rescuer so that salvation could be freely given and his created people could be restored, restored to relationship, to fellowship, to relationship with their Heavenly Father and loved ones, Jesus completed that work. He was faithful in every single way, remains faithful to this day. Put your trust in Him today. Verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me in Your presence with that glory I had with You before the world existed. In the beginning, Jesus existed. He is eternal. He was there in the beginning. He will be there in the end. He has all authority. And at the same time, He's promised to be with His people to the very end of this age. And so as we go, as we walk by faith, may we be formed by His words, His way of life, including how we pray. And then starting in verse 6, He shifts and begins to pray for His disciples who are with Him. 
those who he had called to follow him, those who had dropped what they were holding on to and began to follow him, those disciples who he would send out on mission, book of Acts, empowered by the Spirit, and they will go as ambassadors, as witnesses, and we stand as fruit here in 2022, people coming to faith in Christ because these disciples that he is praying for here went and obeyed and they made disciples and they taught and they baptized. So verse 6, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. In the life of Jesus, we see the nature and character of God since he is fully God. He reveals the Father through his works and his his words. Colossians 1 tells us he is the image of the invisible God. So if we want to get to know God the Father, we look at the life of God the Son, which we see laid out and taught to us in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Verses 7 and 8, now they know that everything you have given me is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. Jesus knows that the disciples that are following him believe in who he truly is. And they receive his words. They apply his words to their way of life. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples at one point, okay, so who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, meaning you're the Messiah. You're the sent one. You're the You're our deliverer. You're the one promised in the Old Testament who's now the fulfillment of that promise. You are our Messiah. And Jesus continues to ask the same question to us today, asking you of this question, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that I am is the question that he asks. And for believers, we echo the words of Peter. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're not simply just a good teacher or a moral man. You are the risen son of God who we are seeking to be formed and shaped by, following wholeheartedly after. Verses 9 and 10, Jesus goes on in prayer. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine and I'm glorified in them. If you're a believer in Christ, then we must remember that we are in Christ. And we pray and talk to our Father out of that identity. We belong to Him, and because we do, our lives are intended to bring Him glory, reveal Him, point to Him. Think about the different spheres of your life. Work, school, friends, a neighborhood, local church, sports, activities, marriage, parenting, family life. We exist to bring glory to God in all of those different spheres of life. We ask the question, what would glorify God in this moment? Not what would I want to do, not me, myself, and I, but rather, Lord, my life is yours. My life was, was bought, redeemed, set free from the slavery of sin. I live by faith now in you and, and not in myself. My life and my body were purchased by his life and his body upon that cross. And so now all my life is yours. So how you and I work, how you and I serve in a local church, how you and I relate to a spouse, a family member, how you you date, how you drive, how you interact on social media, we are continually thinking, 
Do my actions, do my reactions, do my words, do my choices, do the rhythms of my life bring the Lord glory? Do they reveal that I, I believe the gospel and I'm trusting them in the gospel? Do they reveal this inward devotion to Jesus that is manifesting itself outwardly in actions that look different than the world and the patterns of this world? Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, Jesus prays, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you've given me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus knows he's about to die and will rise again and go to his Father and yet his disciples are staying here on this earth. They're going to be sent out on mission. So how is he praying for them? Holy Father, protect them by your name. And this verse and the next one allude to the truth that if you're in Christ, you are secure in your salvation. Which then sometimes stirs up the question that some people have of, well, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, can you one day not be a Christian? Can you be kicked out of the family? Like, like when I go to an event and they mark my hand with a Sharpie that I've paid, is our salvation like that? Can it wear off then a few days later? Or as I rub bleach on it later, like, can it wear off? The short answer is no. So if I have a bad day, I absolutely blow it in some area, either by doing what I'm not supposed to be doing or not doing what the Lord has called me to do and neglecting on those days. And we've all had those. It's Sunday. I bet you might have had a moment in the last seven days. We don't go to bed that night wondering or fearing, have I done too much? Have I done too little? And as a result, I'm going to be kicked out. But rather, in Christ, I've been adopted, redeemed, and forgiven. It's by His grace alone, not by my works. If it was by my effort, then, then I'm in trouble. It's by grace alone. The Holy Spirit has been given to me. My life has been sealed until the day I meet Jesus face to face. That's Ephesians 1. The sin in my life does lead me to confession in prayer because I want my relationship with my Father to be sweet and unhindered by my sin. When sin gets exposed to my life, it does lead me to getting that into the light with other believers and actively turning from it because it's not who I am anymore. By grace alone, I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and, and the new has come. And so when the old resurrects itself and tries to become small L Lord in my life, no, it's not who I am anymore. It's not who you are anymore. We've been changed. You need to know that God is a great father who does not lose his children. Now, some distort that truth and wrongly just assume that because you prayed a prayer once, checked a box, walked an aisle, got baptized, walked into a church building, or, heaven forbid, just grew up in a Christian home, you assume because of these realities in your life, we seem, well, then I'm automatically saved. My parents are Christians. I'm saved. It has to be your faith. You have to tra transfer your dependence upon the Lord. In reality, when, we when, when some people distort this truth, they're, they're, assuming, they're assuming because I did this, that means I'm saved, but as a result, my life has never actually changed. Their allegiance is, is still to themselves and not to the Savior Jesus. Friends, don't settle for a cultural Christianity that doesn't save. 
Don't settle for thinking the Christian life is just simply trying to be a good, better, moral person. Don't settle for being a person who hears the word and then doesn't go out and do anything about it. May we instead be a people who by the grace of God, the power of the Spirit, seek to live lives of growing devotion to Him and in the context of community with one another. Dallas Willard, an author and pastor, has these two questions to provoke self-examination of our growth in Christlikeness. He says, compared to a year ago, am I growing more or less irritated these days? The second question, am I growing more or less easily discouraged these days? Am I growing more or less easily irritated? Am I growing more or less easily discouraged? I'm not saying, is your life perfect? It won't be. Neither will mine. If we could attain perfection in our own power, then the gospel was meaningless. Then Jesus' death upon the cross was meaningless. We didn't need a rescuer. But we all know we fall short. We, we are in need of rescue. I'm saying, are you making progress in your faith by the grace of God? And maybe it feels like two steps forward and one step back. One step forward and two steps back. It probably does at times. But even in the struggle at times, what's the trajectory? And are you pursuing Jesus alongside other believers in that trajectory? For me, I prayed a prayer in January 92 by my bed after my then-girlfriend, now wife, shared, shared with me the gospel that evening at her house. It was there by my bed that I gave my life to Jesus and was eternally saved. That prayer was a significant moment a turning point. But it didn't stop there. It was just the beginning. I was saved, a new creation in Christ. Now the mark of Jesus on my life is, is not one that gets washed off, but it grows and consumes my heart and life from the inside out. And at the end of verse 11 there, Jesus prays for the unity among his disciples. Part of being a believer in Christ is being in community with one another. When we begin to follow Jesus and repent and believe the gospel, we are reconciled not only to our Creator, but to His new eternal family, to one another. That means we are to be unified, to reflect that vertical relationship, to reflect it horizontally with those around us. And so when we sin against another, we ask forgiveness. When we are sinned against, we freely forgive. We humble ourselves. We reject isolation. We seek to live authentically and honestly in the midst of a spiritual family that we've been saved into by grace alone. Verse 12, the first half, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you've given me. So once again, God the Father doesn't lose his children. Once we are in the Father's care, they cannot be abducted by anything or anyone else, including our spiritual enemy. Because the Father... Is greater. Remember having that argument as a kid? I thought my dad is the strongest one when we had that talk on the playground. Oh, my dad's the strongest. He probably wasn't, but he was a Marine, so I think he's probably pretty strong. Our Heavenly Father's perfect, greater than all, held securely in his hand. John 10, 28 and 29 I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Then going back to verse 17, or 
John 17, verse 12, the second half. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Here Jesus is referring to Judas Iscariot, the one who would ultimately betray him in just a matter of time, whose betrayal was spoken about, prophesied of in the Old Testament. Verse 13, now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. In continuing to pray for his disciples, Jesus prays that they would be filled with joy, that the joy of Jesus would be complete in them. One mark of a believer in Christ is joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits talked about in Galatians 5, joy not in circumstance but in Christ. Jesus knows as he's praying for his disciples, it won't go well for them all all the time as they are sent out on mission. Because again, they're following in his footsteps. He knows they, they will be attacked for their faith. Some will be martyred and die for their faith. But even in the suffering, even in the valley, even in earthly death, there will be joy. This deep abiding, grounded in the hope of the gospel joy. I know what many of you are walking through. I don't know all that you are walking through. Maybe your seasons are in mountaintop, maybe it's valley, maybe it's somewhere in between. But I believe for all of us, the Father wants to encourage His children today that our joy is found in no one and nothing else other than Jesus Christ, Christ alone, that He is our joy, our strength, our Savior, our refuge, our life our portion. Don't miss that in this prayer of Jesus, he prays for himself. He wasn't just praying for others, but himself as well. Some of us struggle to ask people to pray for us. We say, we say uh, so how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. Really? Really? Maybe, maybe you are, but we struggle to ask others to pray for us because prayer tends to reveal our weakness our need, and there's something in us, our flesh, that hates to reveal need and hates to and resists pushing back against that revealing. But in that humble, honest sharing, this is where the Lord works in His people, in the light, in the context of the family of God, fellow siblings seeking to love one another well, grieving and rejoicing with one another, bearing one another's burdens, spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. May we be quick to confess both our need for prayer and may we also be quick to pray for others, to confess our need, but also say, I want to pray for you right now. Father, thank you that you've called us into a family. You've called us into relationship with you and you've brought so many people around us, brothers and sisters in Christ, to live life and to pursue you alongside. I pray that we would be a people who would seek to glorify you in all things as a way of life, not as compartments. I pray that you'd give us a unity with one another, that we would love one another well and we'd reflect the unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. I pray that you would enable us by your grace to make progress in the faith to grow less discouraged or less irritated in the coming weeks and months. And I pray that we would, our joy would increase no matter what season we are walking in, 
this steady joy knowing that you are continuing to write our stories that, and our stories never end in the chapter of a suffering on a Friday. But in Christ, new life, new heavens, new earth are promised. And you are faithful to fulfill that promise. Teach us to depend. Teach us to abide. Be glorified through our way of life and through this local faith family. We pray this in your name. Amen. Psalm 16, starting in verse 5, says, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even at night when my thoughts trouble me, I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices my body also rests securely, for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Amen.